of Aragon, Chapter 3. summer the court moved back to Greenwich Palace, the Palace of Placentia as Queen Catherine called it. It was a pleasant place, still in the country but near enough to the bustle of the city. As soon as I got there I asked for my Aunt Meg but no one knew her. Maybe she was at Whitehall, they said. I should wait until the court moved there. More in my mind was my father I longed for him and wondered where he was. I knew his master lived in a fine house on London Bridge, but which one? There were many buildings crowded together on both sides of the bridge. And then there was Will. Was he still in Rome? I had no idea. Queen Catherine kept me busy. I did not have time to go in search of them. And I was growing to love her. Maybe she took the place of my mother but I felt safe in her company. I was never so happy as when she bade me sleep in her chamber and it was just the two of us, safe and warm on the soft down mattress. The Queen's belly was growing large and she got tired more easily. Very often she would beg me to go and fetch her kerchief, feed the monkey or play with Princess Mary. I was happy to help her. As the fall of leaf came upon us, the court became a bustle of semstresses, tailors, nobles and ambassadors. Princess Mary's betrothal to the French prince was to happen on the 5th of October. But he's only a baby, I said to Lady Maria Willoughby. He can't even speak. She laughed out loud. Do you think, Kat, that is important? Of course not. The Admiral of France is here to play his part. But Princess Mary, although only two years old, was standing for herself. She was a clever child and forward for her years. That didn't mean that she didn't fidget when she was being fitted for her cloth of gold betrothal gown. She was wanting to go and play with Lady Willoughby's dog, Senor, and wouldn't stand still for the sempstress. Every time the woman stopped to find a pin, Princess Mary would toddle off, calling the dog's name. Catherine watched her with pride, but her eyes were tired. After I chased her round her mother's chamber, catching her at last, Catherine gave her a none-too-gentle cuff around the ear. Mary, you are a princess of England. Behave like one. Not that the Queen was ever angry with Princess Mary for long. She loved to sit and sing to her and had started to teach her some letters. Typically kind, she had involved me in the lessons, knowing that I had not the skill to read. So, I was learning my ABC with a princess. Of course, I was six years older than her, and so I progressed more quickly. But then the Queen cleverly suggested that I help Princess Mary practice, ensuring that we were both sure of each separate letter before we moved on. But, 
on the 5th of October, I was near the back of the crowd of courtiers and servants in the Queen's great chamber, while little Princess Mary waited on her own. Her cloth of gold gown gleamed, and her red hair was partly covered by a bejewelled black velvet cap. She stood very still and straight, her tiny figure dwarfed by the enormous bulk of Cardinal Wolsey and Lord Bonivet, the tall Frenchman. Her proud mother and father watched as he slipped a tiny gold ring with a huge diamond onto her finger. Then it was their turn to vow that they would support the happy couple in the future. I know that Queen Catherine was not happy, but she did her duty, as she always did, and said she accepted the match with great pleasure and only a slightly strained smile. As the formal ceremony ended, Princess Mary turned to Lord Bonivet. My Lord, are you the dolphin? she asked imperiously. I noticed a murmur of laughter coming from the members of the court. We often called the Dauphin of France the Dolphin, but we didn't know that Princess Mary had picked that up. Are you the Dolphin? she repeated. If you are, I wish to kiss you. With that, the laughter became widespread and the king came and picked his daughter up in his arms. This girl, she's so learned and she never cries, he boasted. No, princess. Lord Bonivet takes the place of your husband, the Dauphin. When he and you are grown, then will be the time for kissing. And so the following days went in a haze of parties and dancing, hosted by Cardinal Wolsey at York Place. Queen Catherine took to her chamber sometimes, bringing me with her. I wished I could join in with the fun, but it was my duty to stay with her. Sometimes we'd play cards, and sometimes she would ask me to sing. In the mornings, after Mass, she would question the ladies that had been at York Place the night before. And so, my lord the king, with whom did he dance? she demanded. Lady Willoughby looked a bit uncomfortable. With his sister, your grace, as the first lady of the court in your absence. But the Queen was not to be placated with this partial truth. And with who else? she inquired icily. Come, Maria, we know that the King dances with more than one lady. Lady Willoughby reeled off a list of ladies who were part of the French delegation. And then, Your Grace, just for one dance or two, Elizabeth Blount. By my heart, the Queen swore, that wench again. How dare she, the legal hersey? Your Grace, be calm, Lady Willoughby entreated. Give it time. Once you are delivered of a royal prince, you will be able to make her leave court. For now, you should rest. Queen Catherine was prone to small outbursts of temper, like a spluttering pot, but she would always regain her composure quickly. You are right, Maria, she agreed, and then laughed. <laughs> but she is not the problem. It is Sir Lionheart, the king. But still, I know he loves me. He does indeed, madam. 
He asks for you every time he sees me, Lady Willoughby said. After all is said and done, mused Catherine, I am his queen and nothing can change that, not ever. As the days of October passed, all the women of the household started to make preparation for the Queen's lying in. Fine ladies are not like us. They will withdraw in the last month of pregnancy, away from the eyes of men. But it was the men servants that were involved right now, hanging rich tapestries on the walls of the lying in chamber. These were all biblical subjects to edify and encourage the Queen in her labour. Then her great bed was hung with purple cloth, as thin as tissue, billowing around the richly embroidered coverlet. A vast cradle was carried in, large enough for me to sleep in, and covered with a crimson cloth of estate. This was for the baby, prince or princess, Lady Willoughby told me. But see, when the babe is not being viewed by the great of the land, he shall sleep in here and she pointed to a much smaller crib that could be moved next to the Queen's bed. A birthing chair was brought in. I did not know then about birth, and I wondered about it. Why was there a hole in the seat? It looked uncomfortable to me, but when I asked, the ladies laughed and hushed me. These are not matters that should concern you, Ginger Cat, said Lady Boleyn, who was speaking from experience, having borne many children although only three lived. She looked down her nose at me. When the Queen is in her travail, you will have no place here. You are still a child. The Queen will have experienced ladies around her and the midwife. I was disturbed by this. I did not want to leave the Queen's side, knowing that without her my treatment might not be gentle. I prayed that night that the Queen's delivery would be short and that my time without her would only be a few days. Still, the serving men brought in ever more items for the Queen's comfort. The floor was covered in rich, soft carpets, with large cushions being strewn all around. Tapestries were hung over every window but one, and beeswax candles were made ready to provide a warming light. Finally, with great care, some statues of the saints were carried in. There was St Margaret and St Anne and, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Queen would be able to turn to them in her pains and pray for her help and a safe delivery, as St Margaret was delivered from the stomach of the dragon. It was early November, about a month before her baby was due, that the Queen went to the Church of the Observant Friars, next door to Greenwich Palace, to ask God for his blessing for the birth. The king attended, and afterwards he led her back to her chamber, followed by a throng of courtiers. He paused at the door, bowed, and bent to kiss her hand. May God safely deliver you, madam, he prayed, and return you to me, my jewel. He turned and looked at all of us standing around, courtiers, servants, and ladies. Then he spoke loudly and clearly with a touch of impatience in his voice. And may God bring me that most precious jewel of all, a son and an heir for England. All of the assembled company clapped heartily, 
while the queen put her hand over her belly. Everyone knew she had carried five babies and only one had lived beyond two months. This most dutiful, most kind and graceful of women had failed so far in her most important duty to produce a Prince of Wales. This time, she hoped, it would be different. The Queen picked up her skirts and said, Farewell, Your Grace, and all my friends. Now, ladies, we must withdraw. She led a small procession of chosen ladies through the door, which shut gently behind them. Now what would I do? I watched the King and his nobles walking back, followed by their servants and pages. I did not want to go with them, but where should I be? My place was with the Queen and her ladies. I leant on the door. If I couldn't go inside, I would just sit outside and wait. It felt the safest place to be. I must have fallen asleep, for when I woke, it was darkening. Suddenly the door I was leaning on opened, and I fell backwards into the birthing chamber. Lady Boleyn was standing there, holding the door and looking very annoyed. You! You are still here! I cowered, feeling she would send me away. I don't know why the Queen loves you, Ginger Cat, but she will have you with her. We have protested and told her that a maid has no place in a birthing chamber, but she will have her way. She says you warm her bed for her and she cannot sleep without you. My heart leapt. My lady, thank you. I will be a good maid, you'll see. I will do whatever you ask, so long as I can stay with the Queen. Lady Boleyn frowned as she ushered me in. It's only until she starts her travail, Ginger Cat. Once she is labouring, you will be out. The chamber was dark and warm, with firelight and candles flickering. Catherine lay on her bed her red-gold hair spread out on the pillow. She spied me coming towards her and held out her arms. My little calf, she called out, come to me and keep me warm, child. I ran to her and snuggled up against her. I didn't think I had been as happy for many months. Here was the love and tenderness that I had so much missed since my mother's death. I truly loved Queen Catherine and she loved me. Yes, I was of no importance, a pet like her monkey, to indulge and laugh at. But I knew I meant more to her than that. And for the first time in my life, I felt that I was special. I had never been in a birthing chamber before. Ordinary women, like my mother, kept working until the last minute. Most women went to their bedchamber with their husband waiting anxiously outside and the midwife hurrying in to deliver the baby. This was very different. It was dreamlike and dark, a sanctuary that smelt of the rose and almond oils that the ladies rubbed onto the queen's tight belly. We could not see the outside world, and so we turned to each other and to the queen. The ladies were less grand now. They were wearing ordinary gowns, their jewels left behind. Lady Boleyn remembered her last lying in with her son George. She talked of the pains and how she had been helped by praying to the Blessed Virgin Mary. She remembered the kindly midwife telling her to hold your breath and strain downwards as though you were going to the stall. 
I sniggered at the thought of the dignified Lady Boleyn in the garderobe, but instead of slapping the side of my head, she just laughed. You should not be listening to this, Ginger Cat, but now you have, take it and learn from it. It may help you when your time comes. I looked down and smiled. I didn't intend to marry, I thought. I wanted to be with Queen Catherine all of my life. The day passed slowly. We played cards and sang together, gentle lullabies to soothe the baby within the Queen's womb. The baby liked that, and the Queen would let us feel its tiny feet kicking hard against her swollen belly. Sometimes one of us would go to the door to take in some more food and drink for us all sent up from the kitchen. The Queen was eating fresh bread with honey and oranges. We had pottage sent in and meat which we ate hurriedly, not wanting to spend any time away from our mistress. Every now and then Queen Catherine would raise herself from her bed and walk slowly towards the figure of the Virgin Mary. With help from her ladies, she would kneel in front of our Blessed Virgin and pray to her. Kind Virgin of Virgins, Holy Mother of God, be present on behalf of thy devoted handmaidens. Thou art the benign assister of women in travail. She would continue for several minutes, finishing by crossing herself and holding out her arm for one of us to assist her up. We would all rush to help, eager to be the one closest to our queen. Lady Willoughby and me were usually there, hovering around her in case she fell. But then, later in the afternoon, when she struggled upright, she let out a cry. Crutching her belly, she wailed loudly. The other ladies, startled by the sudden noise, clustered around her. Lady Willoughby was already steering her to her bed. My Catalina, my dear lady, come, come. Maria, it has started. My travail is here, but it is too early, too early. Catherine was distraught, tears rolling down her face. She had had several early deliveries and the babies had not survived. She cried out in pain again, ay, and sank onto the bed. My pains are coming, Maria, the baby's coming, she panted before crying out again as another wave of pain swept through her. Your grace, Catalina, do not fear. We saw your child kicking. He is well and hearty, Lady Willoughby said, using the name she'd called Catherine during their childhood in Spain. She helped her back against the pillows and smoothed the covers over her. Queen Catherine raised her head from the pillows and tried to speak, only to moan as another pain came over her. Oh, she panted quickly, again and again. It was frightening to see her like this. But then she regained herself. Elizabeth, fetch me the virgin's girdle that she may protect my baby. Yes, madam. Lady Boleyn turned to go and find the sacred relic that supported and protected women in childbirth. Meanwhile, Lady Willoughby turned to me and said, Cat, go and get the guards to fetch the midwife. Tell them to waste not one moment. I hurried towards the door, my heart beating. It felt so sudden and I was frightened for the Queen. I had never seen a woman in travail before. I got to the door, ducked under the tapestry covering it and tumbled out in front of the two guards. 
Make haste! We need the midwife in here! I shouted at them. Immediately they stood up straight. I'll send a messenger to fetch the midwife, one of them said, walking briskly away. The other guard eyed me warily. I will go back to the Queen, I said, trying to sound older and calmer than I was. Wait, girl, let me ask her ladies. He knocked loudly on the door. But I came from there. The Queen wants me, I protested. The door opened and Lady Boleyn stood there with a tapestry hanging behind her. I heard an anguished cry coming from inside. The guard looked down, embarrassed, caught his breath and then spoke. My lady, do you wish this girl to come into the Queen's chamber? Lady Boleyn replied immediately. No, of course not. A birthing chamber is no place for a maid. Tell her to go and wait until she is sent for. The door slammed in our faces. The guard turned to me. You heard what she said, girl. Be off with you. I went, but only to the next door that led into another chamber and one beyond that. The floor was strewn with rushes and sweet aromatic herbs. I might not be allowed inside, but I would not leave my queen. I sat down in a corner, making myself comfortable on the rushes. I would keep watch for Queen Catherine and her baby. Around half an hour later, I heard footsteps walking along through the next chamber. It was dimly lit and it was hard to see who was coming. I could hear voices, a man and a woman. I shrank back into my corner. As they approached, I recognised a messenger. With him, there was an older woman carrying a large bag. She was walking as swiftly as she could, but she was old and was having to struggle to keep up. As they came up level with me, I saw her face. I let out a gasp. I couldn't believe it. The woman was Mistress Stab. I was certain of it. I would never forget that face. She cast a quick glance in my direction and our eyes met, but she didn't say anything. Just then the inner door opened and she swept inside. I was amazed and confused. Was Mistress Stab a midwife? But why hadn't she told me? Had she recognised me in that brief moment? What would she do now? She'd left me without a word when she took me to the king's post. She'd misdirected me to a place where there was no sign of my aunt. Did she mean me harm? She was a witch, and perhaps she had put a spell on me, maybe even on the queen. I was fearful now, and crossed myself, muttering a prayer to the Virgin Mary. I stayed there for maybe two hours, watching and listening to try to discover what was happening. At last the door opened. Mistress Stab came out, quickly followed by a serving girl, carrying a bundle wrapped in linen. I stood up and caught at Mistress Stab's arm. What are you doing here? I demanded. What brings you to the Queen? She shook my hand off and gestured to the serving girl. Be off with you, wench. Dispose of that discreetly. The serving girl nodded and ran down the corridor, clutching at her bundle. Mistress Stab turned to me, her eyes glittering. Come, cat, walk with me. She led me down the corridor. So why are you here, and why did you lie to me? I cried, my voice getting louder as I got more upset. Mistress Stab looked towards the guards. Quiet, girl. 
You will get yourself removed from the palace and how will that help? She hissed. I saw that her eyes were glittering, not with evil, but with tears. We stopped some distance down. I am here because it is my lot in life to help women give birth. I am the midwife and it was my duty to tell the Queen that her daughter, God rest her soul, is dead. She died as soon as she entered the world. I gasped and Mistress Stab wiped at her eyes with a kerchief. There was a night like this eight years ago, she said, but it ended very differently. I carry that night with me in my heart. I didn't know what she was talking about. It sounded like the ravings of a disordered mind. But now it struck me that the Queen's baby had died and all her hopes had been dashed. That wrapped bundle the maidservant had been carrying was the baby's tiny body. I shuddered at the thought that such an innocent soul was now dead. But how is the Queen? Does she well? Let me go to her, I cried. I must comfort the Queen and tell her not to worry that there would be other children. I would comb her hair and sing her to sleep. I would pray with her for another baby. I didn't know then that there would be no more children for Queen Catherine. She was getting older and as Lady Boleyn later told me, her courses did not come every month. Mistress Stab put her hand on my arm. In a moment, Cat, you can go to her. It is your fate to be with her. That's why I sent you to Woking Palace. I knew your aunt would not be there. Mistress Stab paused and blew her nose on the kerchief. One day you will find the secret of your birth, she said. When the time is right for you to know. What secret? Why do you keep talking about a right time? Tell me if you know it, I demanded angrily. Mistress Stab laughed tiredly. Hmm. It is not good for you to know now. It will cause great danger. It is enough that you are where you should be. I turned away and shouted at her. Stop talking in these riddles, mistress. I don't believe you. I'm going to the Queen. With that, I rang back down and beat on the door to be let in. Lady Boleyn answered, her face expressionless. She motioned me inside. Come in, Ginger Cat. The Queen is asking for you.